You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, blue this, this is the pod, is the pod for, you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. It's time to get the pulse of the people. Welcome to Orange and Blue Bloods, a Odyssey original, WFN original, original New York Knicks podcast hosted by myself, EJ Stewart, and Tommy Beer. We're coming out of the All-Star break, still no games until Friday for the Knicks. And as we record this podcast, we decided, hey, it's time to hear what the fans got to say. You know, how many times have you heard me asking the questions to Tommy or Tommy posing questions to myself about what we think about this Knicks team? But what are the fans thinking about where the Knicks are? What do they want to know as we head into the home stretch of this regular season? So, Tommy, we are doing a mailbag. You posted a mailbag post earlier in the week. I posted one um, today as we recorded this podcast. So we basically compiled some of the best questions that we sent. Uh, and we're going to do these uh, further in the future. So don't worry. We'll have more mailbag uh, episodes. But basically compiled the questions. And uh, we're gonna we'll get through them. We're gonna we're gonna see uh, what people guys said and, and what we think about it. But um, happy to have you on as always. And uh, let's rock. Yeah, let's get it. I wish we uh, had some games to talk about. It seems like they haven't played in forever. But um, yeah. we're recording this Thursday, so we got a game tomorrow. Um, but uh, let's discuss. Uh, it's a, you know with the All Star break coming and twenty two games left on the schedule. So be good to check in with people and see uh, what they're wondering. Exactly. And of course, again, this is a Orange Blue Bloods New York Knicks podcast, Odyssey original, WFN original podcast. You can get wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature and subscribe to the channel so you can get these podcasts every episode we drop. So um, let's begin with our first question in this Knicks mailbag. Uh, the Action Network's uh, Joe Dallara, who's an NBA writer for the Action Network, he writes, where do you think the Knicks finish in the East? Five seems to be their ceiling, but I struggle to see them dipping below eight with their floor. So they'd be, at worst, have a crack at the last two playoff spots. Tommy, I'll, I'll start with you. Where do, where do you see the Knicks finishing where we stand right now in the in the, in the uh, standings? Yeah, I think Joe's on the money there. Uh, you know, the current lay of the land at the moment, Knicks a half game ahead of Miami. Knicks in the sixth seed, a half game ahead of Miami, who sit seventh, and two games back of the Nets, who sit fifth. Um, uh, and the good news is, you know, they're three and a half games ahead of the Hawks. Um, obviously Atlanta, new head coach in town. Um, you know, we saw over the past few days, Nate McMillan got let go. Um, sounds like they're targeting Quinn Snyder, but they're going to have an interim in the meantime. Um, maybe that could spark a bit, um, you know, get the Hawks kind of up and running and get back on track. It seems like they haven't, or, or on track. It seems like they haven't been on track all season. Um, if I had to, you know, put money on it, I think the sixth seed is, is probably um, the safest bet. Um, I'm not sure if that's Miami at five and the, and the Nets at seven or the, you know, the Knicks, right. I, I obviously, I, I think the Knicks believe they have a shot at, at advancing to five. Um, and, and with the, the new, new revamped Nets team, Sands, KD and Kyrie, that's certainly an option. Um, but you're right. I think that the, the floor fortunately is the eight seed. Um, but obviously the, the kind of line of demarcation is, is securing that six seed. That's going to be the motivation for the um, you know, the, the securing the fifth seed, obviously, um, and avoiding one of the Bucks, uh, C- Celtics or, or Sixers, um, you know, be also a, a goal. But the, the main motivation here is, is getting that at least that six spot. 
Yeah, I think that I agree with the assessment. I think that the five is their ceiling. I can't see them catching Cleveland at any point. They're about four and a half games behind them. Knicks will have to go on a crazy tear. The Cleveland Cavaliers playing really well right before the All-Star break. They won eight of their last ten games. So I think Cleveland is not happening in terms of catching in the standings. I think five, they could definitely catch Brooklyn only two games back there. The Heat are still in play. And while we say, okay, eight seed, that seems a little unlikely because of the standings. Remember, it's once you get into the play-in, then it's just whoever wins that first game gets the seventh seed, and then whoever wins the second playing game gets the eighth seed. So if they were to play against the Hawks, let's say, in a one-game situation, could the Hawks beat the Knicks? I mean, we've seen that before, uh, so I wouldn't put it past them. So could the Knicks find themselves playing for their lives in the eighth seed matchup against you know either the Wizards or Raptors or Bulls? Certainly. Uh, I can't see the Knicks losing their last two games in a must-win situation with the way they're playing right now. I, I would assume they would definitely at least get the eight. If I would put my money on it right now, I would say they will get uh, – I'm going to say they get the fifth. I really think Brooklyn's going to falter, and it's going to be a, a race between them and Miami. I'm not sure how much Miami will really value the fifth seed over the sixth seed, to be honest. Like, I think that they're a team that they kind of feel like, look, we just want need to be as healthy as possible, playing as good as possible. So if the Knicks really want that fifth seed that badly to play Cleveland as opposed to playing the Sixers or Bucks, which I think that they would, then I think you'll see maybe Miami kind of take their foot off the gas or at the end. I don't think Miami's afraid of Philly. They beat Philly in the playoffs last season. So I don't think that they care whether or not they play Philly or, or, or Cleveland. So I'm saying the Knicks get the fifth, but I do think that is their ceiling. I, I guess I'm a little class half full in that regard. Um, but I think it's the right assessment there that at five and eight are essentially there. Uh, that, that's their range right now. I, I think we'll have a much better idea one week from today. Um, next, the Knicks play. Uh, they host Brooklyn Wednesday, March 1st, and then they play at Miami Friday, March 3rd. Um, after those two games, we should have a better feel. of. Um, let me ask you this, EJ. 22 games yeah. left. Do you sign up for 11-11? Do you, do you, do you sign up for 13-9? and, and nine? Um, Or what, basically, what do you predict over can, – can, what, what you, you, what's your feel over these uh, this yeah. final stretch of the season? So, uh, so if they went 500, they went 11, 11, that puts you at what? 44 and 36, uh, right? Am I, I'm, no, 44 and uh, 38. Doing that math quickly. So yes. um, I think I have to do a little better than that. I, I think to me, like you, you probably want to be in between that 46 and 48 win range. I think if you want to secure a top six seed here, not that I think, uh, Atlanta, I think, is toast. I don't think you have to worry about them jumping up there to get to that 44 number. Um, but I think could Brooklyn stay ahead of 44? They only have to play essentially uh, one game below 500 to do that. Could Miami uh, get to 44? They'd have to only play, you know, two or three games above. I think that both of those are still possible. So I think to me, uh, if they can get to, um, I think 46 is the magic number to me. If they can, so that would be, I guess, 13 wins down the stretch. So if they can go 13 and nine here, that would be probably be the uh, the, the number I'd be looking at. I would I'd agree, um, but I would also note the the opponents they beat is also going to matter. As I as that I mentioned, they play the Nets. Yeah. They play the Nets next Wednesday. They play the Heat three more times over the final month of the season, uh, final five weeks of the season here. So those, I mean, those games, I think essentially, um, you know, whether you want to view them as playoff games or not, you know, if the Knicks go three and zero in those games, um, that's you know, it, it's going to be difficult for Miami to leapfrog them. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, unless the Knicks fall apart in their other games. So those games, but you know, assuming they go two and one or one and two, um, that's probably going to come down right to the uh, you know the final week of the season. Yes, very good point there. Here's another question here. This is actually looking towards the offseason, which I think is interesting because we are in a playoff race, but I thought it was a fun discussion to have here. At Ron T. Powers via Twitter writes, what are your thoughts of the Knicks making an offer for Brandon Ingram this offseason? He could be the missing piece, just as Rasheed Wallace was for that Pistons team that won in 2004. Brandon Ingram is an interesting player because when you look at kind of how that roster is built in new orleans in some ways he's a lot better than this guy i'm about to name and in some ways he feels like they're rj barrett in the sense that like they have these other pieces that you could say wow they look like they're a team that you know if they change things around they could probably win a championship where the knicks are saying if you change them around maybe they could compete for a title or you know be more of a perennial playoff team and i keep looking at ingram i look at his lack of availability i look at his kind of like reliance as an isolation player and i kind of wonder does he really fit next to Zion and McCollum moving forward and Valanciunas like a long term? 
everybody knows how talented he is, but I'm not sure that fit is the best. So he wouldn't surprise me as a guy that gets out there on the market. I don't know if I love his fit on the Knicks, though. Um, uh, to me, uh, he, he's a guy who also I think he can play some too because he's so talented. But I think in some ways he's great as a combo forward, a guy who can play three, four. And as we keep saying often over and over again, how often will Knicks be willing to play small? Not likely. So I'm married to him playing the three. We know Brandon Ingram's not necessarily a defender. So um, I, I like Brandon Ingram as a player. I think that he's a lot better than R.J. Barrett. So if you just inserted him into your lineup, I'm sure you would be, you, your talent profile of your team would improve. But would this put the Knicks over the hump? I would say no. Agreed. Um, I, I, I like Brandon Ingram as a player. You know, can can you know. Five rebounds, five assists, 24-ish points. Not an overly efficient player, um, but the red flags for me are the injury issues um, yeah. and just kind of lack of a major step forward. You know, he's, he's been kind of progressing at a, at a, you know, at a solid clip. Um, some people thought that this might be the year that he kind of took off um, and, you know, established himself as kind of an all-NBA, you know, third-team guy or, you know, like – but, you know, he's averaging fewer points in last season, fewer rebounds, um, you know, and, and, again, he's only appeared in 24 games – the Pelicans have really hit, you know, they've hit the skids. They are, they are trending in the wrong direction. They might not even make yeah. a plan at this point. That's one of the teams that the Lakers feel that they might be able to catch, um, you know, yeah. based on how poorly they played of late. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll, you know, obviously Zion Williamson had that, uh, that setback with his hamstring. Um, and then what do you have to give up to get him? Um, you know, right. he's not the Donovan Mitchell type, so proven superstar, all, you know, that really elite talent. Um, that you're going to give because you're not just only going to have to give up RJ, you're going to have to give up probably Grimes or IQ or OB and multiple right. first round picks and swaps. And um, the Pelicans certainly are not, he's on a relatively decent contract, making around 35 million um, next couple of years, which is, you know, probably a value contract, all things considered. Yeah, I um, think so. Um, but again, yes, and and most importantly, um, as you know, it's just not a great fit. Um, for me, I'd rather. Uh, devote those assets to someone like OG Ananobi. We'll probably get into you know some RJ discussion later in this mailbag. Yeah. Um, but somebody that's more of a defensive-minded kind of three and D wing, I think would fit better alongside you know kind of the bookends of of Brunson and Randall. I don't think another high-volume shooter um, in that spot. Not necessarily Ingram's a fine defender. He's not a you know he's not a terrible defender. But right. I would prefer somebody that's kind of more defensive orientated to kind of wedge in play alongside. Um, uh, the because the, you, when you have two high usage rate guys in Brunson and Randall, I don't think bringing in the third guy like um, uh, like Brandon Ingram is, is ideal. I agree with that. There, let's get to another question here. Let's go to uh, at success only way via Twitter who writes, Why is Emmanuel quickly not getting any six man of the year consideration? Personally, I feel like Powell missed so many games and Westbrook might be starting again that he should be a top candidate. I've seen some of this kind of being talked about on Twitter as well, that in other places on the internet about Emmanuel quickly. And and I, I have not seen him anywhere on <laughs> top uh, six man of the year candidate uh, conversations. I actually looked up prior to the show um, some of the odds right now for the uh, six man of the year. And like according to covers.com, he's not even listed. Uh, I see uh, Brogdon, Powell, Maxi, who started a bunch of games this year. Uh, Matherin, uh, who's at plus 4,000. Christian Woods at plus 7,000. Like now we're getting like the crazy numbers and still no Emmanuel quickly at all. So I think that that's an oversight. And I think some of that uh, comes with the uh, lack of emphasis on defense, because I think people will look at, first of all, man, quickly's offense has been great for about, you know, two or three months now, but he, he had a really rough stretch early in the season where he, he couldn't buy a basket. Um, and that kind of really hurt some of his efficiency numbers. His offense numbers look fine over the course of the season and they're up everywhere uh, across the board this season, maybe the exception of free throws, I think are down because he had to shot the free throws as well this year. But otherwise he's he's been great across the board offensively. But because some of these other guys have, you know, Malcolm Brogdon's efficiency numbers are great. Um Maxi's efficiency numbers are great. Though again, I don't know if he should count. He started a lot of games this year. But either way, uh, some of these guys I think their efficiency numbers are, are, are kind of putting them ahead of quickly. But none of those guys I mentioned, maybe this hasn't Brogdon, could say that he they defend like him. And I think quickly what he brings to the Knicks and what he brings to the table defensively, I think it's being overlooked. So when we talk about six man of the year, oftentimes I think people kind of pigeonhole a certain role as a guy who's coming in just scoring. And quickly he's certainly done that. But I think the fact that he's not getting a lot of love has to do also with the fact that they're not valuing his defense. 
I am stunned. I, I looked at this earlier this week, and I couldn't. The same as you, I could not believe the odds. Um, so yeah. DraftKings has a, has a six minute of the year odds after the Ulster break. New York, for some reason, you can't bet on um, awards. Um, I, I I it's a valid explanation for it. I don't, you know, if, if someone out there can can provide me with one, I'd appreciate it. But I know that's in the bylaws when they let DraftKings and, and online mobile betting. Um, you can bet NBA, you can bet team futures. Obviously, you can bet games and single game props, but you can't bet MVP six minute of the year. For those out there in Jersey or or Pennsylvania or other states that are listening. Mm-hmm. Um, you, right now on DraftKings, you can get um, real quickly at plus twenty thousand odds um, to, to win six men of the year. So you know, Brogdon's the the big favorite, minus one seventy. Norm Powell second, plus three fifty. Maxi, as you mentioned, has started twenty two games this year, plus four hundred. Then you got Westbrook plus eight fifty, which is a joke. Yeah. Math, and then you get the really long odds: Mathurin plus four thousand, Pool plus seven thousand, Wood plus seven thousand, uh, Bobby Portis plus eight thousand, Malik Monk plus twelve thousand, and then Emmanuel Quickly plus twenty thousand. Um, when you look at again, it's not. The award is sixth man of the year. It's not sixth man who averages the most points or right, guy exactly. who averages the most. Yeah. I, we, I think sometimes, you know, yes, William won it and Jordan Clarkson won it, et cetera. And those, you know, are, are certainly deserving in, in their own right. But again, it's not you. the person who scores the most point. That's not what the award's about. It's about the sixth man, all around contributions. Um, so the same way we view MP, you know, obviously – offensive you know is, is important but it's your overall impact on the game um I, I find it impossible to argue that quickly isn't at least in the top five um right very difficult to argue that he's not in the top three and i think you can make a very strong case that it's either him or brogdon um i looked at the plus minus for each of those guys Emmanuel quickly has the highest by far he's plus he's the only of only three players in the NBA that has an individual plus minus north of 200. He's plus 201. Um, for context, Maxi is plus 136. Brogdon's plus 87. Norm Powell is minus 104. Um, Jordan Poole minus 71. Um, keep in mind, Maxi's on a team that's, you know, seven or eight games better in the standings um, than, you know, that has yeah. a higher net rating than the Knicks. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Ditto for Malcolm Brogdon, team, you know, plays right. for the team with the best record in the NBA. Um, so when you factor in plus minus, it's easier to have a higher, you know, it's more likely to have a higher plus minus when your team has one of the highest net oh, ratings in the NBA. Exactly. So the fact that IQ has the highest net rating on his team and Maxi's nowhere near the top, um, you know, Brogdon's nowhere near the top. Forget Norman Powell, um, you know, Bobby Portis, et cetera, plus 28. Um, Jordan Poole, as I mentioned, minus 71. When you look at what each player brings on both sides of the ball, um, and you look at the advanced metrics, the VORP, uh, the you know the defensive rating, IQ, the positive impact. Um, again, he distributes the basketball, doesn't turn the ball over, um, you know, makes three pointers, has played well, relatively well in the clutch at times. There's just a lot to his statistical profile as a whole. Um, I think you could make a very strong argument. Again, you know, Brogdon, you can make a strong case for Brogdon. He's been efficient. He's, he's performed well in his role. Um, you know, he's played well off the bench since the very start of the season. That's an important role for um, uh, for the Celtics, especially when Marcus Smart was sidelined. His numbers went up. Yeah. His production's been solid. Not quite as good a defender um, as IQ at this stage of his career. Um, right. But again, in terms of the other guys, Westbrook, I mean, come on. Maxi again, started <laughs> yeah. to Started 22 games. If Maxi was a solely a six man, I think you could definitely make a strong argument there. But right. Portis, Wood, and Poole have all had their moments. Um, but again, consistency wise and production on both ends, um, IQ I think is either you know two or three or, or even one. Yeah, I mean Maxi. I know he's missed. First of all, Maxi's missed a lot of games too. There's that aspect that as well. Too. He's had all these. He's had injuries. But uh, yep. Maxi has started more games than he's come off the bench this season. He's played 38 yes. games total. He's started 22 games. So I, I know he'll have, I guess, 22 games left to essentially compliment the rest of the way. But I don't – to me, he shouldn't be eligible. Like, he started way too many games to be considered, especially when you consider, okay, if we are talking about your point total, how much you're averaging, he's been getting a lot of minutes. So, like, because he was starting to start the season. So I, I don't like that he's even really getting considered. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. I'll be honest, it doesn't make sense. Uh, quickly, absolutely should be mentioned. Uh, I see stuff like this, and it kind of makes me wonder: like, are these people watching the Knicks really? Like, I like you know we can talk about. Um, and look, it, it's like thirty teams. All right, I'm not gonna sit here and say, oh, like you know, I'm gonna get in my feelings because people aren't watching the Knicks. But it just does feel like, oh, well, the Sixers are on all the time. 
Celtics are on all the time. The Clippers, these are teams that are on national TV all the time. So you could just kind of fall into watching these guys play and then look at the numbers. Like, oh, they're having a pretty good season. And they, these teams have good records, so why not put them in? And the Knicks have played on national TV, but not those other teams. I think this is just people not really understanding the Quickly's value and having not watched him this season. Um, he's being undervalued. So it's, it's unfortunate. I hope that um, we keep banging the banging the drum on this case for Emmanuel Quickly because he absolutely deserves to be a finalist for Sixth Man of the Year. Yes. Let's yeah, get to the, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. They mentioned that I think it's that at the end of the year, there's three, there's three finalists, right? Yes. They announced front. So, yes. So, yeah. Again, if Brogdon get for anybody out there that can can place a few bucks on it, those, those odds are crazy because if Brogdon gets shot, if he misses a couple weeks with a sprained ankle or, right. you know, the Knicks go on a winning streak and the Celtics fall to third and the Knicks are like fifth or something, like all the, all that stuff gets factored in. So some, some things could change, you know, IQ could get on a hot streak here um, and put up some good numbers. So I definitely think that's worth a dart throw at, at the very least. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I need to like get just take a trip somewhere just so I can yeah, place that yeah. bet real quick. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drive across the. I'm gonna drive the whole bulk and place the bet and drive back. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, we got another question here. This one's from uh, a person that some people may be familiar with here. CP the franchise. Shout out to CP, uh, head of uh, Knicks Fan TV. Shout out to me. Also hosted on WFN uh, last week with uh, Evan Roberts filling yo, in for uh, yo, Carton. Yo, cre- credit to CP. He's a great dude. Casey's, Casey's the man. But I want to know when EJ is getting his afternoon drive slot. I want to know <laughs> when he's getting in there, EJ. Because we, hey, we need to see you on that primetime slot, baby. Hey, listen. Uh, put in a tweet or a call to Spike Eskin and let him know <laughs> that they got to hear from EJ Stewart. Uh, just gotcha. saying. Let him know. <laughs> but uh, shout out to, uh, of course, Spike Gaskin. Shout out to CP. Um, he tweeted at us. Uh, so, who is your X factor to close out the season strong as the Knicks head into the postseason? Uh, there are a lot. There are a lot of options, yeah. and I think that the answer for me, I think, is a lot simpler than I think people will think because people are going to run to Mitchell Robinson. People are going to run to newly acquired Josh Hart. I still think the X factor, honestly, is RJ Barrett. Like, I, to me, like if the if the Knicks. I think people would look at Nick Sealing as making the second round of the playoffs. Like, if they make the second round of playoffs, they say, wow, that is a great accomplishment. Definitely. I think if they're able to do that, R.J. Barrett has to have a really good stretch here. I think he's going to have to have um, play the best ball of his career in the playoffs. And um, his last time in the playoffs two years ago, uh, you know, he was just a pup but didn't play so great. He's been struggling mightily this season. But we know that these teams, when you get to uh, the postseason – they're going to be, be so keyed in, and their defensive keys are going to be locked in on how to guard uh, Brunson and Randall. And I'm not saying those guys won't perform, but to, to think that they will absolutely perform the way they have all season, uh, you can't assume that. You can't assume that with the way these guys are going to be defended. So we, we it's going to be up to we, someone else to step up. We saw how well Randall played during his All-NBA season in, in 2020-2021, and then we saw what happened in the playoffs. It was nice yes. and gay. Um, when the yes. Hawks are running two guys, and and at that point, uh, Randall had to pass to Alfred Payton. Now it's you obviously yeah. got you got you got Jalen Brunson. You know that that and th- so those guys will help each other. But yes, don't be fooled. Whoever the, whoever the uh, the the Knicks play, uh, should they advance to the, the, in a, into a series, you know, get one of those top six seeds or win the seven seven eight games. Yep. Um, Brunson's going to see a ton of double teams. Randall's going to see yeah. a ton of double teams. Um, and and you're 100 percent right. Um, as far as the but as far as the rest of the regular season goes, heading into the playoffs, I, I agree with you. I think we kind of know what Mitch. Um, brings to the table. We saw yeah, that over the over, exactly. over the first you know fifty games of the season or so. Um, 
uh, I looked at the numbers earlier this week. The Knicks were 11th in defensive efficiency um, in the, I think it was 49 games that that Robinson, uh, that Mitchell Robinson played. They were 24, 24th in the league in the 14 games that he missed prior to the also break. So, you know, obviously his 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 impact defensively is going to be huge. Um, we've got a certainly have a, a a sense of what Josh Hart has bring to the table. Um, I think it'd be foolish to expect him to live up to the you know the high bar that he set over these first three games. Um, he's not going to shoot 60% from three-point territory. He is yeah. going to defend and rebound and all that extra stuff. Um, and he's going to contribute to winning, certainly. Um, but I don't know if he can, again, match what he's – the early production. I agree with you and R.J. Barrett, but I'll take it a little bit of a different angle on it is I don't necessarily right. need him to score more points. In fact, I'd like to see him – I don't mind if his scoring average dips, if he becomes uh, – if he takes less shots. Um, at this point – now that we all that we we have 50 plus 55 games worth of you know almost 60 60 games actually there's 22 yeah. games left we have 60 games of data here RJ Barrett should not be taking 16 17 shots a night which he which he has been averaging um those shots should be allocated towards obviously Randall and Brunson I'm comfortable with where they're at RJ shots that that slice of the offensive pie should be divvied up a few more shots to Quinn Grimes a few more shots to Emmanuel quickly a few more shots to Josh Hart um, so we'll see how that plays out going forward. What I want to see from Barrett is him to come back and say, okay, um, I know my offense is struggling and I have confidence in myself. I'm going to shoot open threes because they need him to knock down open threes when they're there. Right. Um, don't pass up open shots. Any coach will tell you that. I want to see RJ come back and be like, listen, I'm going to be the, I'm going to play the best defense I have on, in my career over these next five weeks. That's going to be my focus. We have, we have plenty of offensive firepower on this team. Um, I'm going to earn my minutes by taking charges, by, you know, playing passing lanes, by being a solid help defender, by, by crashing into screens, not dying on screens. That's what I want to see from RJ Barrett. The shots will come and go. Um, you know, we'll, you know, sometimes you guys just have off seasons, whatever. Um, and, and I'm confident it's a long range trajectory as a, as a creator, especially I'd like to see him drive the basket a little bit more, but again, yeah. focus just him focus defensively is what I really hope to see from Barrett over these next few weeks. Yeah. I'm surprised that we both went in the Barrett direction, but I think that's a good point that he's going to have to step it up defensively, especially. Um, and I think that leads us to our, our next question very, very uh, smoothly here. Um, and this is someone who's been asking me questions my entire life. Um, and here he gets to ask the first question to Tommy Beer. This is at uh, Henry Stewart Sr. So that is my dad. So shout out to my dad who always uh, supports me and supports all the stuff we're doing. So he tweets at us, uh, should Josh Hart start? And if he starts, who does he replace? RJ Barrett or Quentin Grimes? I'll pose this question to you since, again, I've asked answered questions for my dad for years. So I'll give you the first crack at this one. Should uh, um, Josh Hart I will enter say the starting lineup? I, I'm going to I'm going to say no. I think um, certainly the Knicks bench unit has been really productive since the basically the second Josh Hart arrived. Um, you know, IQ, Hartenstein, Obi, those guys have already developed a solid chemistry. Um, their bench production has been incredible. Um, you know, the Knicks are 3-0 since in the three games Josh Hart played. Um, and then you get to the other side of the ball. How would R.J. Barrett handle a demotion from the starting lineup? You know, he already had, you know, his confidence has to be, I don't, I don't want to say shattered, but he, he limped into the all-star break, let's say, and, and his confidence didn't really seem to be um, soaring at that point, as you can tell by shooting percentage. The shots were not only missing, they were way off, um, you know, a lot of his three-point attempts. Um, Quinn Grimes, I'm leaving on the floor as a starter. Starter. Again, he's kind of a really good fit alongside Brunson and Randall. Um, and, and to our earlier point, the Knicks are playing as well as they have, um, as, you know, one, four or five going to the all-star break, six games above 500 with Grimes not playing well offensively. There's obviously a lot more untapped. We saw it on Friday night in that uh, rookie sophomore game. Um, and so you have Grimes and um, and R.J. Barrett basically being inefficient offensively. That kind of if those two guys can get on the same page, that unlocks, a, you know, a whole nother dimension for the Knicks here. Um, but, yes, looking at the big picture, I leave uh, Hart as this at, 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 with that with that second unit on the bench. But more importantly, I think is going to be a part of the closing five more often than not. Yeah, I would leave Hart on the bench as well. Um, I think that I, I know Quentin Grimes hasn't shot the ball as well late. And Josh Hart has been stroking, the, just he's been shooting the crap out of the basketball recently. So um, I, I know. So you say, well, I need shooting. Well, Hart's been shooting better than Grimes. I, I think that those numbers will even out to kind of go back to the norm. And you'll see Grimes hit those shots. So I still think Grimes provides floor, provides us floor spacing that you'd want with that starting unit. So I'd keep him in there. 
And um, one of the things about Barrett, as you kind of mentioned, like Hart has been doing that dirty work stuff, running after loose balls, playing defense, those things that you need from your bench players. Right now, RJ is essentially a uh, high-value, low-efficiency scorer. Uh, am I clamoring to have that guy on the bench right now? Like, I, I don't know. I think I prefer him with the other better players and right. I can live with whatever offense he gives me as opposed to saying, okay, I need him to carry the bench unit. Something that quite frankly, he's been asked to do um, playing in that second unit in that second quarter. And he hasn't really done that great doing that this year. I, I've been begging Pitt Tibbs. Um, he's credited Tibbs. He's made a lot of the adjustments I've asked for. The one last one I've really asked for was to put, Brunson or Randall in that spot playing with those backups as opposed to RJ. I, I don't want RJ now living with that second unit. I, I think that he needs to, for his confidence, I think for the other players around him, I think his, he's better suited playing with uh, the starters. So I would stick with Hart on the bench, um, but you're right. I think that he will be a, a major option to close games. His uh, vast IQ, his toughness, his defense, all things you want when you have these close, tight, playoff atmosphere kind of game the Knicks will be having down the stretch here. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yes, thanks, uh, thanks, Dad. So let's get to next question. Uh, this is uh, from another familiar guy to me, um, uh, WFAN's Anthony Gallo, uh, who does uh, digital stuff for WFAN, so shout out to Gallo. He uh, he tweeted, he uh, actually posted via Instagram, what happens to the rotation once Mitchell Robinson returns to the lineup? So Mitchell Robinson is expected to be back um, maybe this next game that they have against Washington on Friday, if not, you know, later than that. But uh, we've been playing this nine-man rotation essentially without him. It's included uh, Jericho Sims in there. Josh Hart came in, so that took Deuce McBride out of the rotation for now. I would anticipate that Jericho Sims goes to the bench uh, and perm- uh, permanently, for lack of a better term, and he then becomes quote-unquote situational, as Tibbs likes to say. And then Mitch Robinson goes into the starting lineup. I know it's kind of weird because since it's starting, so you go from starter to, to situational, but um, Tibbs likes Hartenstein come off the bench. I think he's made the right call with that. So I anticipate that's the move. But I do want to say this real quick about this Mitchell Robinson return and Jericho Sins in particular. He will go back to being situational, but he has to be ready come playoff time because when you look at the teams that they could be playing against, and I'm looking at two particular teams, the Bucks and the Sixers, I would deeply expect both Hartenstein and Mitch Robinson to get into a lot of foul trouble in those series. Those guys could be guarding Embiid. Those guys could be guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think there's a great chance that Hart's, excuse me, um, Sims' situational thing actually ends up actually being true. He actually is situational. I think there will be times where maybe those guys get um, get called for a lot of fouls. We know that the officiating gets much tighter in the uh, postseason. So he has to stay ready, even if he doesn't play during these last month and a half of the season. So I'm going to say that Sims goes out. They stick to nine men, but he's got to be ready when they get to the playoffs if they got to play against those two teams in particular. 100%. And even, you know, Embiid, you don't want to send to the free throw line, but I could see him bringing in Sims just to foul Giannis a couple of times, disrupt his, That's if he too. starts getting going and just send him to the free throw line, use those six fouls that, that Sims bring to the table or hack a Simmons if they play the Nets, you know, something along those yeah. lines. Yeah, um, exactly. But yeah, so, so I t- totally agree. I think Sims will be um, out of the rotation. I think Tibbs sticks with the nine men um, and, and Sims will be out of the rotation. I think I could see, let's say um, Mitch Robb is cleared to play Friday. You know, maybe he plays 12 minutes, um, you know, or, or 15 minutes and, and Sims plays 10 and, and Hart plays his usual 24, 25 off the bench. Um, but I think once Mitchell Robinson is back up to close to 100% as he's going to get, you're going to see kind of that 24, 24, 40 minute split at center. Um, and again, shout out to Hartenstein, who played incredibly well, um, you know, with, with Mitchell Robinson going down. He stepped in and stepped up big time um, as he took on a bigger slice of the offense. Um, but yes, uh, 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 going forward, um, I, I think Sims is basically an insurance policy policy um that could be broken out and you know in case of emergency as you know uh certainly if they play one of those teams with those dominant bigs um could could happen sooner rather than later so um everything we've seen from him is you know and, and fortunately he's not like a sh- you know not a, sh- a shooter or you know Forney has right. trouble getting yanked in out of the lineup sims can come in and use his physicality and athleticism um and, and it shouldn't harm him too much Stay ready, Jericho. Stay ready. You definitely could be used uh, when you get to the postseason. Okay, let's get to another question here. At Top Shot Yoda tweets, what do you think RJ's ceiling is? Is it crazy to think he, uh, it could be Jalen Brown? And what parts of his game could he unlock to get there? So I'll give it to you first on that one, Tommy. What do you see RJ's ceiling in? Um, if it is fairly high, what does he have to do to get to that point? 
Yeah, I would say Jalen Brown's probably too high. You're talking, you know, Jalen Brown's a consistent uh, all-star at, at this stage of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, he's only a couple, a few years older than 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 Barrett. Um, I I think obviously the key with with RJ is you know on the offensive side of the ball is to become more efficient. Um, again, you know, over the last two seasons, he's one of only two players to average more than 16 uh, field goal attempts per game and have an effective field goal percentage below 48%. Um, he's been one of the least efficient shooters, high volume shooters in the NBA over the past three years and basically since he entered the league. Um, and again, part of that is as a 19 year old, 20 year old kid, but the more concerning data is, is of late of, of these last two years in particular. Um, on the flip side of the coin, we saw the second half of last season, this the final you know, basically seven weeks of the year after the All-Star break, averaged close to 24, five and five, shooting above 40% from three. Um, we just have these wild swings where, where RJ looked like Jalen Brown one night and then looked like, uh, you know, uh, an aging Evan Fournier for, for three weeks in a row. So, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and especially uh, defensively, those are things, you know, those are kind of effort plays. Um, if you're looking to buy, you know, and, um, you know, if you're looking to look at the bright side of RJ, professionalism, you know, he's going to come, you know, he's going to work hard. Um, he's always said and done the right things. Um, as a teenager drafted to the Knicks with a number, number three pick, a lot of pressure, never let that get to him. Um, has approached the game the right way, never made headlines for the wrong reasons off the floor, which isn't easy to do in New York. Um, so there's a lot to like there in terms of the character and the kid, um, but we need to see it translate onto the floor. Yeah, I think when it comes to RJ ceiling, uh, I, I would probably – place it somewhere along the lines because i think the best way to think about it is what is he on a championship team or a championship caliber team even so i would say early in the earlier this year when we started this podcast i said i think he could be a number two i'm leaning more towards probably a number three which isn't terrible i mean andrew wiggins was a number three on a championship team he made the all-star game last year and had a great season so i think that's probably closer to his ceiling um there's maybe with the caveat if your number one is Giannis could be number two maybe uh I think to me though in terms of him getting to that ceiling and I talked about it I think on one of the last podcasts we recorded I think RJ needs to get in better shape like I, I I'm going to stay on that 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 tune I'm not saying that he's out of shape I'm not saying that at all I'm just saying the 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 physical conditioning needed to be the two-way monster that we think RJ has shown the capability to be when I look at those guys, I look at their conditioning, and I mentioned Jalen Brown when we talked when I last had this conversation. Jalen Brown, Jimmy Butler, guys of that nature, uh, those guys uh, can play hard every single possession. Those guys don't take possessions off. Those guys, if you watch them play, they don't ever look tired. It's like it's incredible. And when I watch RJ play, sometimes, I, especially defensively, it's not just looks like he doesn't have his legs. And I think that that comes from uh, continuing to mature in his body. I think that comes from overall improving his conditioning. So. I would say this offseason, next few offseasons, and I hope Tip does this, as I said on one of our last shows, he needs to be challenged. He needs to come in in the best physical conditioning of his life. He's entering the prime of his career. So uh, that would be my challenge to RJ. I think that that's what would get him. There, are, Yes, there are things about his offensive game that he can improve. I think that he should – he, he kind of abandoned the mid-range jump shot. He actually got pretty good at that during his second year. I'd like to see him get back to getting you know, hitting that mid-range jumper. Um, I think that there's certainly some uh, uh, moves maybe he could even improve in the post, considering he – gets a lot of mismatches. I think that he should be able to punish smaller guards even more than he does. But I think the first part is come in next season in the best shape of your life, and then we can kind of figure out the actual game, parts of your game that we need to fix. I think that there there's stuff there we've seen. He's still a 22-year-old average in 19 points uh, in the NBA. You know, So it's not like he's somebody that's some bum. He, he has a, a decent platform here. I just need him to see what is that, what do you look like if you're in the best shape of your life? That's why I want to ask for RJ Pass. So that would be my question there. Yeah, I think the thing you like about RJ is his relatively high floor. You know, he's not going to, yeah, you know, exactly becomes a little more efficient. He's going to be, you know, he's going to do enough um, to, to to contribute to winning basketball, you, you hope. Yeah, exactly. And now here's another question on RJ. This is from um, TV critic and film critic uh, for Rolling Stone, Adam Seepenwall, who tweets, do you think the rest of the league recognizes that RJ is kind of bad at most things on a basketball court, or at least that when his shot is falling off, he's really bad? Or do you think he have real trade value this summer? <laughs> I'm not sure about all those stuff about him being so terrible. But I, the one question, the part of the question I liked about was the trade value aspect for RJ Barrett and would he have a lot of value? I think he still does. I think that because he, he he's young again, he's 22 years old. I think he'll turn 23 in June. Um, he has a lot of these 
uh, compiler stats that when you know you talk about what he's done throughout his career, a lot of guys his age have not done that. I think he has a pedigree that I think a lot of teams will respect. And look, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. But like, I think that teams Knicks will be able to sell the team. Hey, this is a guy who was a clear third option on a team that did X in the regular season and did X in the playoffs. Uh, just like they were, they they could sell in the second season. He was the second best player on a team that got the fourth seed. Like I think there are certain things about RJ Bass' career, what he's accomplished. That I don't think he'd have no value. Um, do I think that he could be the centerpiece for a trade that gets you a top ten player? No. Um, but could he be a centerpiece for a trade that gets you a top thirty player? Yeah, I think he could. You probably throw in a couple of picks to, to to include there. But I, I think that his contract isn't terrible. He's not signed some crazy super max deal. He has a reasonable contract. He's still really young and he has all of the makings of a guy who wants to be great. So I think that the right team that is offloading a star that is not winning somewhere could absolutely say, give us RJ and give us some draft capital and we'll talk. So I think his trade value is still pretty decent, but what do you think? Yeah. Um, I, I, I think, yes, I think he does maintain trade value. Again, you mentioned the counting stats. Um, you know, one of the reasons Nick fans were so high on him coming into this season was his production in those counting stats. He's one of only five players in NBA history with more than 3,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 5,000 assists, and 203 pointers before turning 22. The other four players in this club, LeBron, Doncic, KD and Kobe Bryant. So in terms of, you know, statistical production, um, you know, early in his career, RJ's right near the very top. But again, you talk about the, then on the flip side of the coin, you talk about the inefficiency. Um, There are 49 players averaging at least 16 shots per game this season. Barrett is one of only two shooting below 45% from the floor, below 35% from downtown and below 75% from the free throw line. So when you have a guy with the usage rate that high, who takes that many, who takes that usage rate is the the number of possessions that, that end in either a field goal attempt or a turnover. Um, And and again, Barrett's, you know, near, you know, in the, in the top, you know, I think 75% of the league in in terms of, um, you know, usage rate. When you have a guy that's that high, when you combine that high usage rate with that low efficiency, that's how you hurt your team. And, you know, the numbers reflect this. Last, um, let me see, I have the, the, the data written down here. Last 12 games before the All-Star break, the Knicks were outscored by 83 points with Barrett on the floor. Um, you know, so that's a minus 83, um, you know, plus minus, in con- you know, in contrast, um, in that same stretch of games, Emmanuel quickly was plus 42, um, you know, mm-hmm. kind of circling back to our other conversations. So when you factor in and again, uh, RJ spent a lot of that time on the floor alongside Randall and, and Brunson. Um, so, you know, in terms of winning basketball, it, it, you know, Barrett's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. Um, but again, you factor in the the age, uh, the potential ceiling there. All it takes is one GM to believe we can unlock, you know, w- w- you know, we've seen flashes again. We saw the second half of last season, um, a guy that was 22 years old, you know, 21 and a half years old, averaging 24, five and five for a solid six week stretch for a 20 game stretch. Those guys don't come along very often. Um, yeah. So I think, um, you know, in the rights, in the, again, for a rebuilding team, um, you know, for or for a team, you know, potentially that, you know, feels that, you know, he would slot in perfectly as like kind of the third banana. Um, then then I think you their teams would be interested. Um, but I think his value has decreased, you know, in, in the past six months. Um, so that's obviously of concern. We'll see how he closes out the season. We'll see how he performs if and when the Knicks advance the playoffs. And all those things will factor into his value, um, you know, in, in July of, uh, of 2023. And the other thing to keep in mind here is why I think it's a very relevant question is when Josh Hart, you know, when he makes his decision, whether he's going to be a long-term piece of the Knicks going forward, yeah. um, you know, that 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 could further um, the talks and, and make RJ even more, um, you know, I don't want to say the Knicks, certainly the Knicks aren't going to give him away. Um, you know, he's the player they drafted. They committed to him with a long-term contract, you know, a few months ago. Um, he's certainly part of their plans going forward. Uh, but the arrival of Hart, um, is is it makes it at least uh, more feasible for them to, to to potentially part ways with Barrett? Yeah, it will be definitely an interesting thing to follow. It feels like when you look at the team, and I'll, I'll admit Tommy was the, maybe the first person on this as the team developed the season. You looked at the picture and said, "All right, there's a guy here who maybe doesn't fit, and the Knicks are building towards something that's good." It feels like it's Barrett. And I'm as big a Barrett fan as anybody, but it's it's I think it's undeniable to see it that way right now. Um, shot I don't know who this is, so f- I, forgive me. Someone posted it on Twitter, 
shout out to them who did it last year after Julius Randle signed his contract and had that miserable season last season, it was Clyde Frazier, I think, who came out and was like, Julius is going to have a bounce back year. He needs to understand what it takes to be a leader, what it takes, the pressure that comes with that contract, and next year he'll come in in the right shape and the right mind, and he'll play great. And he's been outstanding. I- I'm hoping Clyde can do the same thing for R.J. Barrett uh, I mean, at the end of this season. I know a couple weeks ago he said that he was uh, the worst defender on the team, mm-hmm. and apparently that had got back to R.J. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think it was Ian Bailey who mentioned that, that uh, R.J. got – wind of that and that he's aware well whether he liked it or not i can't believe he i can't imagine he liked it but uh that nicks as a whole were aware i'm hoping that um that that kind of this kind of first rough season we see marjorie post contract is maybe what we saw from julius last year a couple more questions before we get out of here so let's get to all things nicks at jtc 9181 who tweets us why hasn't Obi ever been given a fair chance to start and be the star aside from randall it seems like the nicks besides tibbs knows this kid's ceiling is insane as shown insane promise when given the chance to start he's a team first kid a new york kid what gives i think what gives is uh unfortunately there is a positional and roster makeup that is a conflict uh julius randall you you know we could say what you want about him i mean the guy's a two-time all-star twice in three years um he's a durable reliable um, and for the most part, really good player. He did not play well last season, but for the last two out of the last three seasons, he's played exceptional basketball. Um, in order to unlock anything out of Obi Toppin, it would require playing those guys more minutes together. I think both of us agree that they should do that more. But this coach and the way they play, they they require a rim protector to be out there at all times. So Obi's defense doesn't allow him to play with Randall. It's 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 one of those things where I feel bad for Obi and look if it was up to me I would have traded Randall this offseason and Obi would have been the starting power forward for the Knicks this season and who knows what kind of pressure Knicks would have got but I think in fairness it's hard to say that that would have been the right decision given how Randall's played and what the Knicks are doing right now so I don't know I don't want to say he's gotten a, a, a not a fair chance I don't know if fair chance is a fair word to use I think it's just a bad circumstance I just think the odds haven't been necessarily in his favor and because he's playing behind a guy who he was drafted to replace that guy took three, four steps of development that we didn't foresee happening. And that kind of ruined his chance to be the star of the Knicks, the star pop forward. And this is kind of where we're at. Yeah. Listen, uh, he got, it's, it's, it's wrong place, wrong time for Obi Toppin. He yeah. got drafted behind a player who we thought was, you know, and then front office obviously thought he was pretty good, but not great because they drafted a player at his position with the eighth overall pick in the draft and were chomping at the bit to do so. Um, yeah. And then that player has essentially, since Obi arrived with his new team, that player has been a perennial all-star making, you know, making the all-star team two out of three years. Um, and the fit with the head coach. If, if, if Obi gets drafted by, D'Antoni's Knicks, you know, instead of Gallo or, you know, one of those, you know, the, and, and you get a, a up-tempo team that's going to push the pace and fly up and down the floor and defenses. Ah, if you feel like right. playing defense, that's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, we're going to, you know, kind of, you know, keep it together, you know, basically keep our heads above water defensively and try to, you know, do it with smoke and mirrors and, and help defense, et cetera. I'm not going to, you know, demand that you, you know, one-on-one defense, et cetera. And then we're just going to try to outscore teams by, you know, taking more shots than they do, taking more three-pointers than they do. Um, you know, get again, getting pushing the ball of transition at every opportunity that would have he would have blossomed um, and, and yeah. obviously not not been playing behind a player playing at a very high level. Um, you could certainly argue that that the trajectory of, of Obi Toppin's career is is completely different. Uh, the trajectory is just, you know, off the charts, whereas he just hasn't not got an opportunity. Um, so I think those two things um in combination prevented us from ever seeing what Obi could have brought to the table. And quite frankly, as we've talked about time and time again, I don't foresee that changing, you know, which is why I think they should have, you know, explored all opportunities to trade Obi, um, you know, prior to the deadline. And I think they'll do so again um, prior to, prior to, uh, you know, this, this off season. Uh, But to your point, I would, I agree. And I was in agreement with you that trading Randall this off season, even though you had to sell low was the right, was the decision I was arguing for. It turned out that was the wrong decision. Um, so yeah. credit to Leon Rose, because even if they trade Julius Randle now, um, this offseason, which is something I, I still think they should because of a team with Julius Randle, if you're relying on him as your you know prime, primary offensive scorer or co-scorer alongside Brunson, um, I'm not sure how high that, that ceiling is. Um, but that being said, you could certainly get a lot more value in return from uh, Julius Randle 
um, two months from now than he could have six months ago. Um, so, uh, you know, credit the front office for, for kind of staying the course. And, uh, you know, I think us and a lot of other fans um, were angry that they didn't do it. It turns out that was the correct decision at the time. Yeah, Obi's been a high character guy. I think the fans love him. He's definitely a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I just out of sentimental value, almost purely, I didn't want him traded. I'm happy he's still on the Knicks, but it, it is unfortunate that we haven't gotten to see Obi reach the ceiling. I think that a lot of people thought he could have reached here in New York. Two more questions before we get out of here. So next one here, MD Borden via Twitter. What star could you see effectively playing with Randall and Brunson? It could be anyone you want to choose. I like this question because and I'm going to try to keep it reasonable. I don't want to say Nikola Jokic because he's not going to come to the Knicks. But I like this question because I think that if we're thinking about team building, I think that the Knicks will – I I would be very curious what they could do if they put Randall as the center of a deal and traded him. But I think that they would try to put some of these young guys at the center of a deal and a pair or – I guess you want to be paired. Would it be uh, put it in a trio? I guess I don't know what the word is, but you would try to uh, put them with the pair of Randall, Randall and Brunson and create a big three. So you got to find a guy who matches, I think, their skill sets. And both of those guys have kind of been isolation kind of scores. Randall has been able to do a little bit more besides isolation because Brunson has come in and played so well. I, I think I would. They tried to get Dan, uh, Donovan Mitchell this offseason. I'm not even sure if that was honestly the best fit for how these guys play. Like, I don't know if this guy exists in the NBA, but I feel like someone who plays kind of like Clay Thompson in his prime would be like the perfect fit for these guys. Like somebody who could just absolutely snipe, who can catch and shoot, who can play off the ball. Like if they could, and they really, again, there really isn't a, a player that I could think of right now that's like that. And and, and that's kind of unfortunate. So uh, I feel weird. <laughs> Our producer, uh, uh, James Jackson, Jimmy, shout out to Jimmy. He, he posted a uh, bring Steve Novak back, which is <laughs> funny in our chat here. But like they need they needed somebody like that. Like uh, again, I'm trying to think of names. I mean, honestly, like maybe like a Paul George type. Like, he, you know, I know he hasn't necessarily loved that role when he's been given that role in the past. But I think that he can maybe fill that kind of role. But that'd be kind of player I'd be looking for. Um, I don't know if that guy exists, which is why I'm not sure if like. Randall and Brunson uh, plus one star is a great trio. Like I tried to probably trade one of those guys to make the trio work better, but yeah, someone like it, maybe a Paul George, I would say. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I like the direction you're headed and I, I think it's kind of a combination of a guy that can knock down threes and defend. Um, so I like the, the, the Clay Thompson analogy. I love, um, you know, obviously if you could get a guy like Tatum, you know, is, is the ideal, um, you know, someone right. like Kawhi Leonard, you know, that type of player. Um, but I think in terms of realistic, you know, potential opportunities, um, OG Ananobi was the first guy that, that kind of jumped mm-hmm. to mind, probably because we discussed him previously. Again, a guy that leads the league in steals, uh, an elite perimeter defender, um, does and you know a, a, a guy that could function as a as a, a be happily function as the third option on a, on a, a on offense you know um kind of embrace that role um Mikhail Bridges is another guy that, that I've always thought would, would be ideal um in, in that respect obviously there's the Villanova connection there with Brunson um you know uh, DeAndre Hunter um you know that that type of player um that that's going to be able to contribute just as much or if not more you know as a defensive stalwart um, you know, you know, so Grimes and, and you know, you, you, this way, um, you know, you keep Grimes and and, um, and and this third player to bring in is kind of your and then you have Mitch Rob, you know, defending the, the, the basket. And then you got these two guys kind of wreaking havoc, um, you know, letting the Dobermans loose on the perimeter. Yeah. And then you have Brunson and, and, and Randall controlling, basically, um, you know, running the offense through those two guys. I just think that's kind of the best utilization. Um and I think that's also relatively reasonable. Again, would Toronto be interested in a R.J. Barrett, O.B. Toppin draft pick package? Um, you know, R.J. Barrett, a, a Toronto native um, for O.G. Ananobi. We know their price was sky high prior to the deadline. Might that come back down to earth a little bit? Um, so I'm just trying to think of realistic scenarios. I think O.G. will definitely be on the block. They have to make a decision one way or the other. Either they sign him to extension in July or they trade him because I just don't see how they go into um, – the last year of his contract and potentially lose him for nothing. Um, yeah. Or even if they have to trade him next February, then the, the deadline, team yeah. 
has them for you know three months and as a rental you're just not going to get as much um so so i think um you know those i i, I you know now that um mikhail bridges on the nets that that's that's very unlikely um andrew wiggins is another guy that could potentially fulfill that role um but those are the, the those are the kind of guys i think the, the player profile at least that i think would fit in alongside best um again assuming you keep uh brunson and randall as the bookends yeah in some ways like i looked at it as like i took it as like an actual, you know, star, and I think right, right. those guys are a little low. But, but I mean, yes. I think the fit with Ojanumi makes sense. I think that's why the Knicks have been interested. I, I've been, I've been consistent. I, I'm not crazy about the price that I heard about for right. for OG. I would not have paid those prices. But if that price comes down, then I absolutely think that uh, that that Knicks should talk. I, I I understand that for sure. Um, we got two. Uh, let's see, we got one more question here, or yeah, one more question here. So uh, this is at Shownuff KD via twitter um here he he posted besides a complete end of season meltdown can you see any real scenario where leon would move on from tibbs i don't think so but i do wonder what happens if because and i wouldn't consider this a meltdown by the way because he says end of season so i assume that's regular season so i do wonder what happens if the knicks have another playoff and let's say they get to the first round let's say it's a four or five match with cleveland or three six against philly and let's say they get swept. And we take that series combined with what we saw in the Atlanta series where Tiz was badly outcoached by Nick Millen, guy was fired. Is there any scenario there where the team says, okay, we got something here, but we do have to move the coach because, like, clearly, like, in these scenarios, he's not going to get the team over the hump. I think the answer is no, but I think that there was essentially almost nobody calling for Tibbs' head after that, that Hawks series. I think everybody said – like he, everybody thought he got a coach, but everybody said, like, Hey, he had a great regular season. Like, you know, whatever team's not as good. You know, we knew they were playing a lot of one year deal contract guys. We'll move on. I think there's a different feel that this team actually has real talent. So if they just flop in the playoffs and again, I'm not necessarily saying they have to win a series, but they, they get beaten five easy or get swept. I think that there will be a fever pitch to say, Hey, Tibbs, thanks for what you did. You guys back to relevancy, but there'll be fans who want him out. And look, this Front office hasn't seemed to care about that kind of thing, but James Dolan usually does. So I'll be curious to see if that scenario happens, what happens. I'd say no, but I think that that's the one scenario where I think it could get interesting. Uh, I don't see, I don't foresee any scenario uh, in, in, in that particular, you know, scenario. Um, I'll say this, there will be fans that want him fired if he takes the Knicks to the finals and lose the finals, oh. you know, there's just, there's <laughs> that's just true. Fun. There's yeah. just folks that are anti-Tibbs and, you know, for whatever reason, they just don't feel that he's the, the right fit. And there's some logical arguments to be made there that um, other coaches, you know, a different voice, you know, obviously the player development, giving Obi, that running the players into the ground. And if the Knicks flamed out in the playoffs, that would also lend credence to the fact that they were overworked in the regular season. Um, exactly. You know, he, he's unwilling to adjust and, you know, there's game management and rest management, et cetera. Um, but all that being said, if the Knicks to that, you know, want to finish five or six, which means they qualify for the, for the playoffs, um, Tibbs would be the first coach since Van Gundy to coach the Knicks to the playoffs two out of three years. Um, you know, he'd be fifth, assuming he, I think he's 10 games behind D'Antoni right now um, for sixth all time in franchise victories. I just can't, I can't imagine. Um, he has two years left on his contract. Um, I just can't imagine the Knicks and, and the close relationship we know with Leon Rose, um, the Knicks getting rid of him in that scenario. If the Knicks don't get one of those top six seeds, and also they'd be heavy underdogs um, if they were playing the Cavs. Not, no, not I shouldn't say heavy underdogs. They'd be they, the Cavs would definitely be favored in that series. The Sixers or the Bucks or the Celtics or whatever would be heavy favorites. Yes. Um, yeah. Should they should they match up? I think obviously we've talked about it. The Bucks and the the Celtics are a tier above the Sixers, but. Um, mm -hmm. If the only way I think it could even be in the conversation is if the Knicks finish seventh or eighth and then lose those two games in a row and don't make the playoffs. Um, in, in other words, only qualify for the play in tournament um, that I could see if he gets out coached badly and the team doesn't show up, um, you know, that I could 
possibly see where it at least enters the conversation. But I think at this point, um, you know, barring a, a meltdown like that, um, which would with at this point would definitely be considered a disappointing season yes. based on where they are. If they don't qualify for the playoffs, not just the playing tournament, they don't qualify for the playoffs. Even if they get in as the eighth seed and then get beat up by the Bucks or the Celtics, um, I still think they would have exceeded expectations, certainly prior to the start of the season. Um, but I guess that would enter the conversation. But long story short, I again, I think Tibbs has done enough at this point to at least get himself one more year. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think that it's it's highly unlikely that that Tibbs is is not the coach next year. The, the, the other th- the other thing just to note it, it is important too is it's clear the direction of the franchise wants to compete. You know, they don't they're not, right. you know, if they were going to trade Randall and Brunson and bring in, you know, uh John, you know, whatever, you know, they're going to, you know, a whole bunch of draft pick for the Thompson twins or, you know, somehow yeah. get screwed Henderson or, you know, the, you know something <laughs> crazy like that. Then certainly if you have a, if you enter a rebuilding situation, but assuming the Knicks, which every indication is that they continue to stay on this path where they're trending in the right direction, being competitive, eventually play, which places them in position should Carl Anthony Towns or Devin Booker, whoever get angry at his next stop, um, you know, they're a star away. Then you, then Tibbs is a guy you want to, you know, for that kind of a, a for that approach to towards the team. Totally agree there. So um, this has been fun. This uh, Knicks uh, mailbag. Again, we will be doing more of these uh, down the stretch or maybe, maybe not down the stretch, but definitely uh, as we continue to do this podcast. So thank you everybody for submitting. Again, we'll have more opportunities to get questions from you guys. Uh, We'll be doing other specialty episodes uh, as we continue this podcast on the blue blood. So thank you guys so much for listening and checking us out. Uh, Tommy, let people know they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. That will do it for now. Thank you guys so much for listening to Orange and Blue Bloods, a Knicks podcast, an Odyssey WFN original, a podcast you can get wherever you get your podcast, including the free Odyssey app. Remember to hit the auto download feature so you can get these episodes whenever we drop. Also, remember to Check us out on YouTube. We're on YouTube, uh, Odyssey Sports Channel, where you can find our not just our full episodes of the podcast, but segments of the show. So uh, hit us up on YouTube. Hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up. Uh, listen to the podcast on all your uh, downloaded streamable services. And um, that's going to do it for now. So thank you guys again for checking us out. I'm Tommy. I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.